Hello and welcome to Watermark's Church Leadership Podcast, a conversation with church leaders for church leaders. I'm your host, Adam Torno, joined as always by my co-host, John McGee. John, why don't you let the audience know what we're going to talk about today? Hey, Adam. So uh, we just got done interviewing Todd Wagner and kind of the you know, the, the question we posed was, how do you take advantage of the 20s and 30s? How do you prepare well for ministry? Yeah. And it, candidly, it went a little bit different than I thought. I thought we were going to get very, very tactical and read this, do this, wake up at this time, you know, uh, you know take these supplements. I, I, don't, I don't know what I, what I thought was coming, <laughs> uh, but it wasn't that. No. And instead, it was just kind of Todd's journey, uh, you know, starting from 16 when God was chasing him down all the way to now. Uh, things he did that he was grateful for, uh, things he still, you and I would say, we, you know, he's still leveraging. We, Absolutely. Like we can, everything he mentions in this, in this podcast, uh, we, we. It's like, I've, I've heard that. I've heard that. I've heard that. And it was very consistent. Here's what I thought was really, you know, Todd is um, he is one of the most optimistic, forward-looking leaders I've ever been around, people I've ever been around. And so he doesn't often go back and kind of talk about some of his yeah. story. And I think some of his story is fascinating. I love it when he does that. And uh, I know, uh, I think I think the listeners are going to really like hearing like what 16-year-old Todd thought he was going to be <laughs> when he grows up. And, and it's really funny because so many of those sound bites that we hear in his preaching, teaching, and leadership today to hear how they were forged in his twenties and thirties, you know, that he was digging that well, then maybe didn't even know that was the well he was digging. He was just being faithful. And I think there's so much for leaders in their twenties and thirties to learn from this interview. Yeah. I was, uh, I found myself just deeply encouraged just being here in in the uh, studio, just listening and just having my own soul, just um, strengthened, renewed. I was just really encouraged just listening uh, yeah. live. And I think the audience will be uh, as they listen in right now. Yep. All right. So uh, check this out. I know you're going to want to write down a bunch of notes. Don't worry. We took notes for you. Check out the show notes as we list some of the highlights in there, but uh, check out this interview and then we'll be back with a few comments. All right, John, why don't you let the audience know and frame up our conversation today? Great. Hey, Todd, welcome. Glad you're here, brother. I love being here. <laughs> and I actually didn't have to crash this when I was invited. <laughs> That's right. Always invited. Todd, <laughs> not always here, but always invited. Um, so, Todd, we're going to talk about just kind of leading in your 20s and 30s. You know, we want to kind of get to how you got to where you are, things you're glad mm-hmm. you did. But could we back it up? You know, Adam and I were talking, um, I don't think we've ever done on the podcast how you got to be mm-hmm. a senior pastor. So, yeah. what was that path? What do you think you're going to be doing uh, as a you know as a teenager? So we'd love to hear that story. Yeah, well, certainly not this. You know, I mean, I think even in the introduction to Come and See, that little book that we put together, I talk about. I never thought I would have been a pastor. I, I didn't even know I was going to be a believer, but uh, much less a pastor. Yeah. And then, and I never thought I'd write a book, and much less a book about the local church. But here we are, right? And mm-hmm. so, what happened in my life? Um, you know, sixteen year old me. Uh, knew he wanted to make money. I think I was like most 16-year-olds. And uh, once we come to the realization we're probably not going to be the professional athlete that we all thought we were, right. then you got to come up with an alternative plan. So that reality hit for me in college, obviously. And I um, thought, okay, well, one of the ways you make money from what I've observed is maybe uh, some profession. So I was heading to the law school track. So I kind of a dual major in English and business some classes in the honors college, uh, president of the pre-law society, you know, headed to law school. That's kind of what I was doing at University of Missouri. And, um, and do you have to say it that way? Yeah, what, Missouri? Yeah. No, it trips I, me up every time. It does. Yeah. Sorry. It's just kind of the way I've always said, I think there's lots of Missouri people. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm more of a Missouri person. Yeah. So, and it's funny cause states have to like, there's Louisiana. 
uh, you have different ways yeah. that you can yeah. say states. And so that that's to me, that's insider speak. You're yeah. actually from there. If I said it not being from there, be weird. it'd be like, why are you trying? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think there's some people even in, in Missouri that think, well, it's Missouri, idiot. And so, you know, who knows? Maybe it's a form of speech impediment, uh, which I definitely had. You had to move. I was born in Reading, Pennsylvania, which is uh, of really no interest to our listeners, except that they call it reading. They yes. play Monopoly. The first railroad is Reading, people. It's not yeah. reading. And when I was a, a, a little kid, I, I couldn't say my R's and my W's. I had that Elmer Fudd disease. And so I would call it Wedding, <laughs> Pennsylvania. And my uncle mercilessly said, oh, you already want to get married. And I remember literally being a person who cried because I, I couldn't say Reading. I'd say Wedding. And he would mock me that I want to oh, get married no. at five. So um, that's just some therapy I still need to yeah. go through to work Sounds through like that. You need to call him. Yeah. <laughs> work through that? <laughs> if okay. he's listening, call. Call Todd. Uncle, Uncle Barry, <laughs> I forgive you. All right. Um, but I am from uh, born in Wedding, Pennsylvania, and from Missouri. There we go. There you go. Um, but anyway, when I, when I, I thought that uh, that's what I, I was going to do, and lo and behold, when I was in college, there were some guys who knew I was, you know, um, I, I trusted Christ at that point and, and knew I was around some sports and knew that I happened to enjoy and love and working with kids. I got saved through Young Life. Uh, there were some guys that said, hey, there's this place called Canacuck that's coming. You ought to interview with them. So I did. And I went down there. I ended up working at this Christian athletic camp in the summer. And God just caught more and more in my heart to where I can remember um, it just became a wrestling match where I was loving what I was doing, watching the way God was allowing me to speak into the lives of folks that weren't much younger than me, saw some real life change and thought, wow, this is a great way to invest your life. But I knew if I did this, I probably wasn't going to be able to have that uh, ski and ski out place in Vail I wanted and that beach house I knew I wanted in Florida and needed and right. uh, live in a nice home I wanted to live somewhere else. And what God just did is he increasingly um, gave me an affection for what I was doing to where I couldn't stop doing it. And mm-hmm. when I got out of college, I went to work for Canacuck and was with him for 10 years pretty much. And uh, and then later in the 90s or actually early 90s when I got married, um, it was about the time I transitioned off of staff was in Dallas, and I'd spent a lot of my time with Kennecock in the Dallas-Fort Worth area because that's where a lot of the kids were from and families. And there was a you know, a group of leaders that I had built into that were in this area, and I'd been leading uh, a study with a bunch of other young adults. And there was several hundred of them that was actually meeting at a restaurant at a time, and there was a church here in town that said, hey, would you come help us reach young adults? And so I slid over there. And um, started doing that. And along the way, here and there, I was taking some classes down Dallas Seminary. I never went to seminary, but I take a class here, a class there. I think learning is really important. We'll get to that in this episode. Yeah. But I was never a person who felt like more formal school traditionally was what was going to give me life. I'd been doing ministry. I didn't want to pull out the study to do right. ministry. But I always wanted to learn more about the Bible. So lo and behold, what happened is after doing that with them for a while, became one of the teaching pastors there uh, and served that church as much as I could. I really felt like there was an opportunity um, to form something and to start something with a group of friends who didn't want to do church but wanted to be the church. And and just, you know, it was a great group of people I was with, but bottom line is they'd gotten settled in, in a bit of a rut, I think, you know, the way that a lot of Americans think about and do church. And I said, I don't want to think about and do church this way, but I want to be on mission. And, um, and so me and a small group of friends started to dream about what it would be like if we could just do whatever we want to do that we thought would make God happy. And, uh, that was late nineties, 
late 1999 and 2000 watermark started. Yeah. And here we are today with a little podcast in 2019 with two friends. That's awesome. <laughs> My, how far you've come. Um, <laughs> and so Todd, you were how old when you started watermark? Yeah. So, uh, I'm 56 now, just turned 56. So, you know, drop back right now, 19 years, I was 36, 37 years old. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Good. Well, let's focus in on that, that, you know, section from, I became a believer at 36 yeah. and just, we'll just start tossing you some softballs. I, yeah. I, you're going to have uh, more content than we've got time. But, uh, looking back during that time, Todd, what are you glad that now mm-hmm. uh, that you did then? Well, here's the thing. I, I, I grew up around churches. I was never a guy that wanted to go to church. I fought, um, my, my family about that. Cause I saw it as the most irrelevant thing we did. We never prayed as a family. We never studied God's word as a family. We never talked about God. Uh, we were just good folks living in Missouri, you know, uh, <laughs> being kind to one another for the most part, you know? And I just thought, why are we ruining our weekends hmm. with going to this, not even average meeting, this really bad meeting with it doesn't make any difference in our lives. I mean, uh, the first time I was exposed to just uh, some pretty awful things were around quote unquote church youth group activities. And I was like, this is nuts. Yeah. You know, what are they doing? And, um, and so I just kind of went my own way to do my own thing. But what was interesting is, you know, God had been seeking me already, even though I was mm-hmm. dissatisfied with what I saw. There was something in me. I used to mow lawns like a lot of kids did in my generation to make money, you know, and um, I would literally take some of my money and there's a a little independent Christian bookstore shop before I was a believer that I would go into and walk around. And um, I bought devotionals. I remember one had a polar bear on the cover. It was called Cool, which is like- With a K? It was with a C. It was like one of the The least- That's like cigarettes. It was like one of the least cool things you could do is buy a devotional. And uh, I did because I was just, I was curious about what this God idea was because I wouldn't, I didn't see it in church. Yeah. I used to hide it under my mattress. Wow. Like most kids were hiding Playboys. And, and read it and just, hmm. you know, if you ever want to make a case for sovereignty and election, I'm it. Yeah. And, um, you know, then throughout high school, what happened is there was a lot that went on in my life personally where God just kind of separated me from my friend group. I, as I said, I wasn't a believer, but uh, I was into sports and I thought athletes didn't do drugs. And so as my friends started to experiment that way, I was a little bit of a late bloomer. So I thought I needed every advantage I could. Mm-hmm. And I just said, hey, I'm not going to do that, which if you guys want to, that's awesome. It would give me an advantage. But they said, no, if you're not going to do what we're going to do, we're going to cut you out. And they did. And I share this because this is really important. I think you know, there's an old statement that God can't use a man greatly until he hurts him deeply. Yeah. And I think this is when I was hurt deeply. I really do. Mm. Um, I went from having a ton of friends and being kind of in that it group and, and a very popular kid to, to having nothing to do in my weekends. And I think I, I just, I was offended that people told me if I didn't do certain things, I couldn't be their friend. I thought we were friends and I found out right away we weren't friends. Yeah. And so I just kind of go, okay, well, what do I do now? Um, and it just turns out that the Lord was there just saying, hey, you might want to think about me and, and not through church, but just through his kindness and, and wooing me. And then eventually through some kids that were a couple years older than me that were um, involved with this thing called Young Life. And they befriended me. One of them was the starting quarterback of the football team, two years older than me. And he just reached out to me, learned my name and started inviting me to hang out with him the weekends. I thought it was a joke. I thought they were setting me up to hurt my heart again. And lo and behold, um, what they were doing is just showing me love I'd never seen. And when I demanded an explanation, they told me, well, we're loving you because you matter to God. And I go, wait a minute. I don't know a God who does this. Yeah. And uh, I came to find him through a young life. Um, 
And so that changed my life in high school. And then um, really, I, I, by the kindness of God, have kept growing ever since. I remember I was discipled really by my young life leader. I read Basic Christianity by John Stott. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I read Know Why You Believe by Paul Little. I started, I mean, I was exposed to the classics, simple books with profound faith, The Master Plan of Evangelism by Robert mm-hmm. Coleman. Anybody who was alive, you know, in the 70s and 80s, these are the books that were just used to form a lot of us. Mm-hmm. And I, I was skeptical. You know, I mean, I, 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 when they said Jesus, I'd heard Jesus at these churches that meant nothing to me. So I did immediately dive into the apologetic side. And um, I, I realized you didn't have to commit intellectual suicide to be a believer. And I armed myself to be able to discuss the faith. And I found out what it is I'm supposed to believe and what it is that people who love Jesus were supposed to believe. Which that attorney side of you uh, coming totally. out in that. I mean, you obviously had some aptitude and, and uh, you enjoyed that. Yep. In fact, one of, the, one of the earliest books I read about that topic was by an attorney, a guy named Frank Morrison, who wrote a book called Who Moved the Stone? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, chapter one of that book, it's all about the resurrection. As an attorney, he set out to disprove Christianity by disproving the resurrection from a uh, perspective of the rules of evidence. And um, the first chapter is called The Book That Refused to Be Written, which is just basically his story of how he set out to disprove the historical uh, reality of the resurrection. It he was overwhelmed with the evidence yeah. and he said, I can't deny this. And I remember how that just stirred me. So these guys that were discipling you through, mm-hmm. through young life, were you still plugged into your local church at that point? I never was. Never was. No, okay. I never, my brother, I mean, listen, God bless him. You know, he was a year and a half older than me biologically, but a year, a grade ahead of me, he developed early. I developed late. He was president of the youth group, but had no relationship with Christ. Okay. Yeah. You know, I mean, and literally, you know, and sang in the choir and all that. And I was the, I was the kid that fought this, idea of church. Yeah. And it, it's why it took me a long time. I still, I was walking a guy around Watermark today and I go, I still don't think of myself as pastor of a church. I think yeah. of myself as a follower of Jesus who with a group of friends is living together in mm-hmm. Dallas, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is what the church is. Yeah. But to me, I hardly can say I, I lead a church because I think that is a meeting that happens on the weekends where you fill this role of traditional quote unquote pastor. I've got my quotes going with my fingers here on the podcast <laughs> and um, doing the things that pastors do, which is, is behave and speak appropriately and um, put together a good order of service and see you next week Yeah, and, and, and don't embarrass the community. So it sounds like in the beginning, there was some learning. You were reading these yeah. books, you were being discipled. Yeah. When, when did it happen that you first started to now realize, okay, this isn't just about me and getting smarter. Now I'm having an opportunity to lead others and, and pour into others. Yeah. I think, you know, listen, the kindness of God led me to repentance and I realized that I had an obligation to share it with others. And I really did have compassion for other people Yeah, um, because I saw my friends that had pursued some of these other things. I saw them getting increasingly miserable, even though they made me miserable. I knew they were sadder than I was. I remember when I graduated from high school, um, literally walking away from graduation, a couple of the guys that had been really cruel to me, uh, I mean, cruel, okay, through high school and popular guys, but they kind of came, they ran up and found me. I was still in my robe, getting ready to go to the all night senior party. Mm. And they go, hey, Todd. And I go, yeah, what? I, you know, I thought they were going to do what they always did, which say, hey, man, we got this amazing party tonight. And I'm sorry you can't go because we limited it to 20 people and you would have been 21. I mean, that's what mm. they did to me all the time. Oh, okay. Hey, we're going to the lake this weekend, man. We wish you'd come, but my mom said I could only bring five people, but we talked about it. you were six. I mean, they would rub it in my face. Wow. So anyway, they came up to me <laughs> and uh, and they just say, hey, we want to let you know something, man. We, we know we've watched you and, um, and you're right. Hmm. And we're not ready to live the way you're living. But we know 
that what you're doing is what we want to do. We just don't have the courage to do it. I mean, it was, I just couldn't believe they said it. Yeah. I mean, first of all, to have that kind of self-awareness. At 18. Yeah. Secondly, to say it. And then they kind of went kind of and ran off and got drunk. Yeah. And I remember it was like the Lord was just saying to me, man, walk with me. Mm. You know, uh, the way of the treacherous is hard. And you have found by my kindness life. And I really, I don't hate those guys. I love those guys. You know, I tried to engage them. I remember, but um, it made me want to know more of God. So I did. I, hmm. um, I, I wanted to know more of God. I read, I read his word. Um, I uh, spent as much time as I could asking people that I respected questions. And then I stumbled onto some guys who were quote unquote pastors who taught not like any pastor I'd ever seen, you know? And when I bumped into men, I mean, what I would say is men at Kanakuk is that's what it provided for me. Kanakuk's a place where at the time a lot of D one athletes worked. And these were guys I thought, man, if we were all pagans, I'd like these guys. Yeah. Right. But we're not out there exploiting women and we're not out there, you know, covering up our, our, you know, drug use or whatever it might be. These are, we're having a blast. We're laughing and we're acting like men and we're spurring each other on and we're learning more of the way of Jesus. And it made me hunger after him all the more. I, I got to tell you, I have zero, I'm under zero illusion as to why um, the kindness of God um, has me here. I mean, it's, it, I know it's grace from beginning to end. Mm. I have no idea why he plucked me out. No idea why he chose me. No idea why he's held me. Okay, but I do know that I would I would read verses like you know, um, you know, no soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life, in order they might please the one that enlists them as a soldier. And I, you know, I always kind of regret that I didn't go into military service. But um, you know, I, I God just said, hey man, you're going to serve in even a, a more powerful yeah. way and do more powerful things. So um, I remember reading verses like. Uh, you know, don't you know that, that those who run in the race all run, but only one receives the prize. And I, I wasn't, you know, fancied myself to be an athlete. I go, I want to, I want to get the prize. Mm. And then it just says, you know, the one who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things, mm. you know, and they do it to receive a perishable, perishable wreath. Um, but an imperishable one is better. And so run in such a way. So it's not without aim. And I purpose to do that. And, um, and I want to discipline myself for the purpose of godliness. And I give God credit for that. Mm. But I will tell you that the b- biggest mistake that young people make is they think that something is going to happen that's going to miraculously make them a great athlete, a great employee, or a great follower of Christ. Um, and I, I will tell you that I did respond to the grace that I was shown. I did read. I did take notes. I did journal. I remember reading uh, Jim Elliott. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, why was this guy who was, by all accounts, one of the most outstanding college age people our country had produced in his generation? And why would he go to the jungles of Ecuador? And why would he learn the language of this remote tribe? Why would he go to them and give up his life? Mm-hmm. And was it a waste? I remember reading about Borden of Yale, who gave away, you know, all the um, wealth of the Borden dairy family that was his because he met Christ and the effect that he had on his college campus at Yale. And I just go, okay, Lord, you know, I want more of you. And I, I remember that I had also bumped into in the late seventies, a young teenage woman. She was actually in her twenties at this point, And I was still in high school named Johnny Erickson Tata. Mm. And I met her in St. Louis at an event that they brought her into. Um, and there was this beautiful 20 year old that was paralyzed from the neck down that also had gotten saved really through young life. And, uh, you know, I guess uh, at least a ministry similar to that. Yeah. And 
she um, and just just talking with her and and hearing her share a little bit. I mean, Johnny marked my life. I remember leaving there, and I've prayed this prayer a lot. I said, "Okay, Lord, if the only way that I can know you, okay, I prayed this prayer because to me there was nothing worse than being in a wheelchair in your twenties." Yeah, and I remember saying, "Lord, if the only way I can know you, um, in the way that I want to fully know you, is to put me in a position where there's nothing that would distract me. That'd be in a wheelchair. We need somebody to spoon the Jello into my mouth." then you have permission to snap mm-hmm. my neck like you did Johnny's. Mm-hmm. But Lord, if there's any other way, right, um, show it to me and and let me pursue you. In fact, let me live my life in such a way that if I am in a wheelchair, I'll know it's not because you had to do it, but just because you wanted me to honor you in the midst of yeah. it. And and so I, I, I don't take any credit for that, right? But mm-hmm. Proverbs 13, 4 says this, the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, mm. but the soul of the diligent is made fat. Mm-hmm. And so what I would, I would just tell um, my friends in their teens and in their 20s that are listening is you. C- it, it, there's a difference between wanting to be godly and doing the things you need to do to be a godly man. So one of the guys I bumped into was Howard Hendricks, John, and mm-hmm. Adam, you both know mm-hmm. Howard, yeah. mm-hmm. Dr. Hendricks, who's no longer with us. But he used to say, hey, I got three questions for you. Number one, do you want to be a godly man? And so everybody goes, yeah, sure, sure, sure. He says, um, does God want you to be a godly man? Well, yeah, 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 absolutely. Are you a godly man? And then most of us want to be humble and we go, well, no, not, not yet. And he just said, man, listen, if you're not, don't answer the third question, yes. You know, you it's because you answered the first question wrong, mm. right? Because you, you, the greatest assurance we have that we can do something is God's called us to do it. He wants us to be godly people, right? Now, what God doesn't do is he doesn't... Um, bless the undisciplined with the fruits of discipline. Mm. And so if you want to be a godly man, okay, again, Proverbs uh, 12, 27, I believe, says the precious possession of a man is diligence, but a slothful man does not roast his prey. I mean, I just, those Proverbs marked me. And I just thought, okay, I'm not going to be one of those guys that says I want something and then... um, doesn't do the things I need to do in order to receive the things I say I want to receive. And, you know, Revelation 3.20, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone, you know, um, hears my voice and and uh, comes to me and knocks the door, I will open the door and, and he will come into me and I to him and dine with him, right? Yeah. And I think I added a few words there. But the, the idea of that is like Jesus wants to be with me and wants to give me. He longs to um, share with me the riches of who he is. And so the question is, am I going to sit at his feet or am I going to sit there and go, man, I wonder why I can't be a more godly man. Yeah. Because he wants us to have those things. So I loved his word. I found when there were guys that spoke about Jesus, um, as I, you know, got tuned in or, or authors that I go, man, this guy knows what he's talking about. I would read more of that author. Mm. I would sit more at those guys feet. I would ask questions and I didn't, I didn't want them to, um, have coffee with me so I could tell people I had coffee with them. Right, I would just want to learn. Yeah, yeah. It was a heart of learning, not a uh, I, I want to be around greatness, right. or I want to be uh, a, gain an identity because now I can call you my friend. Yes, yeah, yeah. So many guys look for a mentor. Let me just tell you, man. There's mentors everywhere. They're in a bookstore. Pick one up and spend some time with them. <laughs> All right. Go. And uh, and and what you ought to do is if you're going to spend mm. some time with a guy like yeah. that, you want to go, man. If I could sit with this guy and ask him three more questions, what would they be? And and I'll be honest with you. I don't ever mind spending time with somebody who says, man, here's three questions I've got. Yeah. Okay. I've read your book, right? And and I would love to know A, B, and C, right? And man, can we jump on the phone for five minutes or can I have a cup of coffee or can you just write back? 
people who are excellent at what they do, they want to share their information. What they don't want to do is spend time with a bunch of fanboys. Yeah. But they want to spend time with mm-hmm. folks. They We're compelled, right? I mean, the three of us, these things which we've heard in the presence of many witnesses, we're supposed to entrust these to faithful men who will teach others also. So show yourself faithful instead of just a fanboy. Love it. Okay? Love and just it. be somebody who gets after it and does all the learning you can and then is ready if you get an opportunity with somebody. Yeah, and let's Love do this as a as a little side here. You, one of my favorite RTRQs that you did was How Do I Find a Mentor? Yeah. And so we'll put a link to that in the show notes. That's you, you had real some truth, really real great. Yeah, yeah, RTRQ, Real Truth Real Quick, is yeah. another uh, mm-hmm. video blog that... Todd is a part of uh, that is it's a really great episode. So if that if you liked what he said there about how to find a mentor, go watch that. That's really good. Hey, so um, so I'm I'm just making a list, Todd, of some of the stuff that you've talked about. Um, So one would be just reading. Um, Mm -hmm. So biographies, um, very similar to me, Jim Elliott, guys like that. Just Mm -hmm. they were just so inspiring. Yeah, I just like I didn't see that, and I uh, so to read because I never got to meet Jim Elliott. Just reading about him, just like it just emboldened me. uh, I think would be one reading God's word, uh, obviously. um, getting around uh, those that you respected would be one discipline as uh, one you've mentioned several times kind of uh, leading any chance you got would would be another one uh, I think boldness it sounds like part of your story is like early on you had to stand up uh, for what was right which which is a uh, a characteristic of a leader I mean, you're gonna have to stand up in the face of opposition and, and let's so go back and because yeah. you were talking about the church you saw growing up mm-hmm. and were those real conversations you were having with your family? Oh yeah, they're battles. Yeah, I mean, so Sunday, this, everybody would dutifully go you. to church. I would be, I would delay. I'd, <laughs> I mean, kids got sore throat going to school. I'd get it going to church, like yeah. anything, you know. And and so, you know, my dad was bigger than me and had a bit of a temper problem. He had no problem winning those encounters, but I took him on every week. I yeah. looked for excuses. I'd go. I'd sneak out. I mean, it was. I just had no interest in being there because I was just wholly dissatisfied with what I saw. Gosh, yeah. if in heaven. Right Right, we get to go back and watch scenes. Oh. Like I would love to be in the car three or four times and just watch that forget, whole thing go down. Moses, man. Red Sea, you, that's yeah, what you I, I, that's, that's Let what me you go choose. back to Todd's car. More first. than once, my dad. I mean, it was about a mile and a half, two miles, probably where the church was that they would go to. And more than once, my dad said, "You better be in that car. We're leaving in thirty seconds. If you're not, you better be there by the time." And I, I mean, I remember I had to run. I mean, I ran. <laughs> <laughs> to to get to church before it was too late where I would I would lose a lot of other privileges and find some, you know, bruises when I, I was yeah, done. So and so, I mean, I'm not kidding you. I mean, I would, I would, that was it. I, and I just try to figure out every single way I could get out of it. All right. Okay. Now let's okay. fast forward over to Canacuck. And so now you're starting to become more a uh, full-time leader. Okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's in the camp setting. What were some of those early leadership lessons that you remember learning about uh, now you're showing up with you got a camp full of maybe mildly interested kids. They don't care who you are. They don't care what books you've read. Uh, the other college students showing up, they don't care who you are. What were some of those things you started to learn as a leader? Well, as a I young learned leader? this right away. I mean, Jim, uh, Jim Rayburn, who's the founder of Young Life, is um, famous for, I think, at least being the one that's quoted most often as saying, you know, uh, people don't know how much you care. Uh, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Yeah. And um, I, I saw that real quick. I mean, um, in some of the young folks I was trying to lead, they, most of them had never been loved. Yeah. And, uh, they thought you were doing it because it was your job. Uh, or, you know, some of them probably thought you were just lonely and you couldn't find any friends your age. So you hung out with them. But when they, <laughs> when they saw security and they saw strength and they saw, um, uh, an ability to invite them, but not a need for them to, uh, endorse or buy into what I'm selling, if you will. Mm. Um, I, I saw the power 
I mean, I saw excellence inspiring other people. I was inspired by excellence. John, you just talked mm-hmm. about that. And um, I saw th- those kids watched. And even even the ones that spoke and, uh, poorly about you or seemed disinterested, they'd just been hurt so many times they weren't letting themselves attach again. Yeah. And just persistent, consistent presence and love. I saw the power of it. And mm-hmm. it just happened to match up with what I saw Jesus say in Scripture. Mm-hmm. They're going to know you're my disciples by the way you love one another. And um, how you know Jesus himself... You know, when he called his disciples to um, follow him, he just said, listen, man, not only are they going to know that you're disciples by your love, but I love the the scripture that just talks about how, you know, God himself, he said, is kind to evil and ungrateful men. Hmm. And so I just saw the power. I mean, I saw the power of love. I saw the power of service. I saw guys that were serving to be noticed. Yeah. And I saw people that serve because they had the master's heart. One of the other books I read uh, in the early 80s was Improving Your Serve yep. by Chuck Swindoll. Yeah. And there's a line in that book that marks me to this day. And that was just that the way you can, me- the way you can um, truly measure a man's servant heartedness is when he's treated like a servant. He doesn't mind it. Yeah. And I thought about that a lot because there's lots of times I'm serving like, hey, people are going to notice I'm serving and it's going to turn into a promotion or accolades mm-hmm. or attention for mm-hmm. me. That's not the heart of a servant. Yeah. That's the heart of a self-promoting manipulator, okay, who's um, doing what con artists do. Yeah. They, and it's, it's frankly what most guys do with young girls. They they give love to get sex, Yeah. right? And, and so mo- a lot of guys, even in ministry or leadership, they give service to get exaltation instead of just counting it a privilege just to serve. And so I I would put myself in situations a lot where I was going to get treated like a servant and not celebrated for serving. Mm. And I just did it as an act of faith. And, um, and I just believed, okay, Lord, um, if you're the one that makes Kings, then I want to serve you and let you do with me what you want. And I'm yours. And there were times I saw guys play the game better than me and get promoted very honestly, I, mean, I saw him get promoted and ex- exalted beyond me. And I, I felt like God just kept whispering to me, hey, do you trust me? Yeah. Right. Do you want to keep serving me or do you want to play that game? So was the 16-year-old Todd, was that voice still there on wanting to have promotion or starting to think about titles and things like that? I mean, did... Oh, yeah. So, I, I mean, let me just say, so I, I trusted Christ just after that 16-year-old Todd. Right. And so um, what I would say is... You know, I can remember, and I tell people this, I mean, this is turned into a little bit too much of my story, maybe for the, this be useful to your listeners, but I can remember right after I trusted Christ, one of the very first verses I was introduced to to memorize is 2 Corinthians 5, 17, mm-hmm. right? Behold, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature, old things have gone, new things have come. And I, I, the next day woke up, I was still driven by self-exaltation and, uh, you know, lust and uh, pride and, you know, self righteousness or whatever, you know, I wouldn't call it that because it just, whatever it was. And I thought, oh, it must not have taken, Hmm. you know, I'm still an angry, lustful, um, self-important person. And a Christian's not that. I thought new things were here. And what I realized what had changed is not my flesh. It took me a while to realize, you know, that sanctification was me learning to die to myself and let Christ live in me. But the life which I now live in the flesh, I've got to live by faith. Yeah. That when I trusted Christ, it's not like he gets rid of my dead flesh. He says, no, there's no program to curb your flesh. It's crucify it. And it's a daily decision yeah. to do that. So to answer your question, yeah, it was, it's it, to this day, Adam, I'm dying to, um, 
to doing things to be noticed and to be celebrated and instead just saying, Hey man, just keep doing the right thing. And, and the faithful thing. It's why one of my heroes in the scripture has always been Joseph. Yeah. Right. Because that's, that's what Joseph did. Mm-hmm. And boy, if there is a lesson, if there's a character for a young follower of Christ to major in, I mean, <laughs> Joseph is a great one. David's a great one, mm-hmm. but, but Joseph, you know, what he did is he lived with integrity and lived with excellence everywhere he went. He trusted mm-hmm. the sovereignty of God and he waited on him. He didn't promote himself. He was just the kind of person that if you were a king, you'd want to promote. Yeah, that's good. Okay. And so I think that's, I would tell you, and I, 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 this is the biggest thing. You, you, if you, When you get to be a parent, your kids are going to say, why am I studying this stuff? It's stupid. I'll never use this. And what I want to say is, you know what? You may never use this math equation. You may never use um, this uh, grammatical information, but what you're going to learn is to be sub- subject to authority, to turn in work on time, to be excellent in all you do. Learn that, yeah, and that's going to serve you well the rest of your life. Amen. I love it. I love it. Well, let's talk about this last season. Then uh, you move from parachurch to church. Yeah, Todd, uh, what'd you learn? What were you doing there to prepare that you feel like served you well for uh, what you're doing now? Well, I, I, let me go back to some of these fundamental lessons because I think the thing that I would say and beg young leaders to do is you will never be wasting your time when you are deepening in your knowledge of who God is. If it is true that the most important thing about a man is who he thinks of when he thinks of God, Mm -hmm. okay? And if the Bible is God's revelation, pulling back the veil, things which I haven't seen, ears and heard, things which haven't entered into the heart of men, all these things he has freely given to those who believe. God's word is his effort to show you who he is, his kindness, his goodness, his intention, where you've come from, where you're going, how he made you. And and I would just say, you have got to be convinced on the sovereignty of God and the goodness of God. And then it's got to work itself out every single day. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I purposed to do as best I could, I never, John, wanted to work for uh, and use my gifts. And I would say I'm fairly observant, fairly self-aware, fairly politically savvy. But I knew if I manipulated my way into certain positions, I was going to have to fight my way to keep them. Mm -hmm. But if Mm -hmm. I just developed the heart um, that God wanted to honor, right? The eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the earth, looking for those whose hearts are completely his, that he might strongly support them. Then if God put me someplace, there was no, I didn't have to fight to keep my job. I was going to be there as long as God wanted me to be in that place. But if I manipulated and conned and scammed my way to a position then I'm going to have to, um, you know, use power and manipulation and control to keep it. And that's just a, that's an awful way to live. Mm -hmm. And instead of just believing in the goodness of God, believing he had my best interest in mind and trying hard to be his man. And whether I'm cleaning uh, the chambers Right. In um in Pharaoh's household, right? Or whether it's being falsely accused and like I think we say all the time, you know, if you're in prison, polish the inside of the jail cell. Mm-hmm. Polish and those bars. Polish those bars. It's just being excellent and trusting God. That is really hard. Because you just gotta remind yourself that a lot of the stories in your heroes in scripture while they are exalted in due time, that due time is sometimes decades. And I would tell you by and large there were decades where I wondered if there was ever going to be a due time. Yeah. And I, I think at times God would whisper to me and just, he would say, well, what if there is never a due time on this side? And all that you were going to get is a, a moment when I told you, well done, good and faithful servant. And you were, and you were faithful and do what I wanted you to do. And it was never going to result in you having a, a podcast, right. Or a pulpit. Yeah. But you were just my man. 
Are you okay with that? And I had to ask myself that question. And until you can answer that question with a yes, that's not just verbal, but that is fleshed out for months and years and decades, then you're probably, well, you're not going to, you're not going to become the man that God wants you to be. There's a great book called the making of a leader written by a guy named Clinton. His last name's Clinton. Uh, yeah. Uh, I always think it's bill, but it's not. Yeah. Yes. It's a yeah. blue book. A Stanford yeah. prof. And what he did is he went back and he looked at, um, great leaders in history. And he said, what he realized is there was really no one magic moment. It was a series of moments where they kept passing the test mm-hmm. and they mm-hmm. kind of moved forward because they passed the test. And I think the test that God gives us is, are you going to grab the reins of your life back from him and just say, like, you know, for instance, if I'm still single when I'm 30, I'm going to go have sex. Yeah. Right. Or are you going to say, you know, if I don't make this much money by this time, I'm going to go and I'm going to, I'm going to make whatever deal I can because I can't keep waiting on God. Or are you just going to say, yeah, even if he slay, slay me, I will honor him. And I'm not going to take shortcuts and I'm going to trust in him and I'm going to be his man today and tomorrow. And, and I'm going to, I'm going to Matthew 6, 33 and 34. I'm going to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to me. Everything I need to live. That's what those things are. Right. And by the way, if I die, then then I gain no longer suffering, no longer being satisfied with fleeting things. And so tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And I'm telling you, by, by the grace of God, that those two verses have influenced my heart more than they should have, apart from God's incredible grace. Mm. And as a result of that, a verse that I remember reading when I was uh, at the end of my junior year, I was getting ready to go back for my senior year at Mizzou and, and finish all my law school apps and then try and get into the schools I wanted to get into. I remember reading Psalm 37, verses 25 and 26. I once was young, but now I'm old. Never have I seen the righteous forsaken or his descendants beg for bread all day long. He, this righteous man, is gracious and lends and his children are a blessing. And I, it was like the Lord said to me, hey, do you want to test this to see if it's true? Then you make your focus to be righteous. Mm-hmm. And I can remember saying, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do it with my best years of my life. I'm not going to go and and figure out uh, how to to live in a way that the world says is right. I'm going to go, no, I'm going to give the best years of my life to God seeking righteousness. And I'm going to test this because worst case scenario, I'll be 40. I'll see he's a fraud and uh, I can, I can spend the last 40 years of my life doing what I want. Yeah. But, it, but if this is true, I, I don't want to delay. Yeah. And so f- that doesn't mean I, you go into full-time ministry, by the way. Right. That just means you focus on being righteous. Yeah. And I will tell you that that captured my heart. And I said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to test you, God. And the only way I can test you is to do what you say I need to do. Okay. So that you don't have to in love discipline me and hinder me. And so, um, I would tell a young man to be consumed with righteousness and leaning not on your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledging him mm-hmm. and, and the days you don't acknowledge it. Mm-hmm. Right. And I would tell you, mm-hmm. get around others who want to do the exact same thing. I found friends that uh, were not fools. And we know the companion fool suffers harm, but he who walks with wise men will be wise. Mm. And I ran with wise men. Mm. And uh, we spurred each other on, and we called each other to faithfulness, and we were about it. And it has been the greatest blessing that a man could have. And so I would Mm. tell you, 
to not walk in the counsel of the wicked, stand in the path of sinners, sit in the seat of scoffers, but delight yourself in the law of the Lord. And on that law, meditate day and night. And um, it has worked out well for me. Hmm. I, I can just tell you that looking back in 35 plus years of walking with Jesus, that there has never been a moment I said yes to him that I've regretted it. Hmm. There has been all kinds of times I've quenched the spirit and grieved the spirit that I paid a price and others around me paid a price. And God's been gracious when I repent and confess uh, to restore those things. And and, and the, the righteous man falls seven times, but gets back up again. But um, I, I, will, I can tell you, man, that um, the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn. It goes brighter and brighter until the new day comes. Mm-hmm. And it is... It's been a blessing to seek him and to learn from other godly men, to be spurred on from other godly men, and he is not a liar. Mm. And so test him and test him while you're young. Oh, man, I love it. I love it. I was expecting, you know, Adam, I was expecting a book list and 20 verses to memorize. And uh, well, there's been on. a lot of books mentioned and quite true, a few verses, but true, yeah, true, I hear true. what you're but saying. The, uh, uh, Todd, I think, mm. you know, your preparation was, um, you set your, you know, your mind to just trust and obey the Lord. And, uh, and you did that in your twenties, mm-hmm. you did that in your thirties. And I think I, I assume Todd, tell me if this is true that, mm-hmm. um, when you're before watermark, I assume some of your peers were, uh, kind of, you know, quote unquote, breaking out and they were doing other things and you were, um, still, you know, wor- you weren't the man, you were working for the man. Uh, I assume that was mm-hmm. kind of happening. And so you, you had to be sitting there going to me, do I trust, do I trust, do I trust? And you said, yes. Yeah. Um, and that, that, that's how you prepared as much as anything. Okay. You want, you, you, you want, so, uh, I'll take you way back to the eighties. So people that are in their fifties and above or listen to this, we'll do it. And for you young folks, if you want to hear how good you have it today with some music that's out there, uh, <laughs> go back and listen to the song. There's a gal by the name of Twyla Paris, oh, right? Yeah. Twyla oh, yeah. Paris, right? And she had a song called, do I trust you Lord? Hmm. And, uh, and God bless Twyla, you know, I mean, what a, a pure heart I'm sure she was, but she was, she was Twyla and she had this song, do I trust you Lord? And I can remember playing that song loud. Uh, and, solid. um, the song talks about basically trials that we face and troubles that we face. And then the chorus is, do I trust you Lord? You know, and it's basically Habakkuk 3, 17 through 19. And the song shifts at the end. And as much as a song in the 80s that made a Christian music and, and bad synthesizer sound can, it builds. And it just ends with, I will trust you, Lord. I think that needs to be our outro I music will trust you, Lord, <laughs> for this episode. And so <laughs> I'm just going to tell you, I remember sitting there sometimes, so probably good. with tears in my eyes. So good. Saying, I will trust you. Hey. And uh, I can remember early in my days, I heard Billy Graham. Uh, whether it's true or not or anecdotal, it worked for me. There was a moment when he was confused about his ministry. He had a friend, Charles Templeton, who had mm-hmm. left, mm-hmm. and he took his Bible, he put it on a stump, and he said, I'm going to build my life on this book. I'm going to trust it. I'm going to believe it's true. I'm going to preach it, and I'm going to stake my life on it. If I fail, it's because this book fails. I would tell you I did the same thing. Mm. And, um, and that is a great place to go. Solomon, at the end of all his partying, Right, rather than go test it, see the other route to go is to party through your twenties and thirties and see if you're happy when you're forty. Yeah. And what I might encourage you to do is find a guy who partied better than you could ever party. His name is Solomon. He wrote a book. It's called Ecclesiastes, <laughs> and the whole book is like, this ain't working. Yeah. Right. I mean, he wrote proverbs and then he abandoned them. Mm-hmm. 
Hmm. And he went the way of a fool. And he ends his book. He says, I love it. It's, it's Ecclesiastes 12. One, remember your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the years draw near when you say I have no delight in them. In other words, what he says in that book is God is a young man's God. Yeah. Don't give your youth to the devil. What a terrible way to spend your 20s swiping right on Tinder, trying to be a millionaire before you're 30. Those are your best days. You can read more, work more, yes. travel more, serve more, and 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 fall more in love with the sufficiency of God. And and so I'm just telling you that I I, I like Psalm 23. It so frustrates me that Psalm 23 is read at funerals. Psalm 23 was not written for dead men. Psalm 23 was written for young shepherd boys Hmm. that are being threatened by lions and uh, wolves and bears to see the sufficiency of God. So read Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, and you go to war with him in the face of all that this world threatens you with and let God walk you through it and test your God. See if he's sufficient, Hmm. right? At least burn... 18 to 25 yeah. to learn all of them you can, and then 25, go get it, right? But quit, instead of trying to recover from your porn addiction or your meth habit or your alcoholism or, or, the, or the, the, the sadness you have because you got a trail of scarred women behind you, yeah. how about seeing how it's working out for you if you've got a road of righteousness? And I love, I mean, I say this to young folks all the time, it's a great it's a pastor's illustration, right, of a, um, you know, like an, an Alaska, when the weather gets bad and there's ruts, you know, that go from one town to another, literally, mm-hmm. you know, like it's think of like a cul-de-sac or a, um, a roundabout that has different exits on it. And, you know, the way like the signs up there say literally, hey, choose your rut wisely. Huh. Like, because once you're in this rut that you can't turn around for 20 miles. Yeah. Right. Because you go leather, you get buried in snow. So it's like, choose your rut wisely because there is no turnaround for a good huh. long while. And what I'm going to tell you is, man, Jesus is in a rut. He is just the road to righteousness and life, not the road of ease. But I'm, I, all I want to do is jump in line with Solomon and just say, I learned from Solomon. I didn't, I didn't live his party life and regret it. I followed his, his advice in Ecclesiastes 12.1 and am celebrating the goodness of God. And there's no question I could have more houses and more things, right? But the, the Joshua 1.8 is true. This book of law should not depart from your mouth, such you might be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Man, you better make sure you have a right definition of prosperity and success. Hmm. Here's what I'm encouraged by hmm. listening to this. So been around Watermark now for 17 years, been on staff for nine, You know, gotten to hear Todd preach for 17 years, and being on staff a lot of non-preaching moments where we just get to talk, Todd. Hmm. Uh, so much of this that I heard today is so consistent. Like in some ways it was really fun and fresh to hear hmm. you piece it all together chronologically. But uh, John, would you agree? I mean, a lot of the, this is exactly what he's been encouraging the staff to do and totally. preaching to our congregation to do. These were these were lessons that seemed to be forged mm-hmm. in his heart in those 20s and 30s that that he just never abandoned. And because yeah. it's, it's from God's word, it's I'll true. Get you one, one better. So, uh, Todd, there's no way you remember this. 
um, ni- I met you in 1991. Oh my goodness. And, um, and so we've talked about this like vaguely one time. And so, um, I, I want to just speak up as an eyewitness, you know, as you heard Todd talking about his twenties and thirties. Do you want, you, you know, I was there yeah. uh, for, for a brief moment. And so, mm-hmm. uh, what happened was Blake Holmes, who's now our campus pastor here. Uh, he and I were at Canacuck for 28 days together as 18 year olds. And, um, you know, so we'd lay on our bunks at night and, uh, just pray and, you know, God, would you use us? Those kind of things. And, and, you know, just multiple times through the summer, he'd say, you know, my friend Todd says this mm-hmm. and uh, Todd, you were his K-Life leaders. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. So that was part of what I was doing with Canica because we'd be pushed to this area in the yeah. summer and yeah. not non-summer months. Yeah. yeah. And so he'd say, my, you know, my friend Todd, mm-hmm. you know, he always says this or, uh, he, he taught me how to, how to do this. And so Pam, who was uh, my girlfriend at the time, uh, she and I rolled through Dallas, um, later that summer and, and, and Blake said, Hey, you need to meet, you know, that guy, Todd, I was telling you about like, come and, you know, he'll, he'll totally have breakfast with you and make time. And I, I didn't know who you, who you were, you know? And, uh, uh and we went and ate. hope some, this ends well. Yeah. No, it, it, and, uh, and, um, we, we met you somewhere for breakfast, you know, mm-hmm. Pam and I, and, and so all this stuff you're talking about brother, about, mm-hmm. uh, loving people, about being kind, mm-hmm. um, about studying God's word, about uh, being, you know, just taking full advantage of your twenties and thirties. I think we, it was an odd time. I remember mm-hmm. that. And I was like, this guy didn't want to get up that early. Um, all that you did. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I was there Yeah, and it's true. And then brother, I would just tell you on the other side of this, this is a great lesson for leaders. Um, you get this right and you'll be a, a deep blessing uh, to many folks. It, mm-hmm. This is, this is about so much more than just you, Todd. Um, and, you know, I, um, humbly, I know that all this, we, we've got categories for all, all this stuff, but um, your diligence in your twenties and thirties, your decisions to be bold, to trust and obey the Lord uh, have impacted literally thousands of people. Mm-hmm. And my, my kids uh, have a better life because of what you did in your twenties and thirties. And so just, if you're a leader and you're listening, like, does it matter? Yes. It does. does. It matter? Yes. Yes. Well, so, yes. But here's the other thing I would tell you as a leader. So like when I had breakfast with those two 21 year olds, right. You and Blake, I, I, I do remember John, when you guys were CITs together, I guess you were, you, you were actually 18, 18. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, part of that little did I know that 10 years later we'd be starting watermark mm-hmm. and that young man was be 27, 28, you, mm-hmm. and you'd be at Dallas Seminary in the town that we were starting a new work to try and be God's men. And because our paths had crossed in a moment where I wasn't, in a sense, um, interviewing, uh, you weren't interviewing me to see if you'd be a guy you could partner with, right? But there was, uh, I just lived faithfully in that moment. And because of that, you and Pam chose to jump into this little mm-hmm. church, Absolutely. like our second or third week or second mm-hmm. or third month. Mm-hmm. And that gifted young man goes on to start one of the um, most transforming, powerful ministries that's kind of hit the church world with, with called Reengage, you know, and to lead our marriage ministry and to take Watermark Resources and work with Adam Tarno and and be a blessing to a broader church. And so I tell, I mean, you know, um, what's so fun is my son, right? Is he's, he's listening to this podcast today? He's over here, at my youngest son, Camp. And I say to you this all the time: Do I not? Hey, tryouts are never the tryout. Right. The coaches are not that, that week of tryouts. It's not the tryout, man. I don't want to break. Your, so don't come home and tell me you outplayed the guys that you know are better than you. Right. You, you might have today, but the coaches are already convinced who they're going to use. And the interview is never the interview. It's it's 
it's uh, you can recover from a bad interview, but but it takes a while because people got to get five more other interviews. Yeah. And so what I would just tell you is you never know who's watching or who you're loving. And you don't do it because you think this guy might work yeah. for me one day or I might work for him one day. You just do it because it's right. But but John, I mean, I would say this to young leaders is every time you're with somebody, just love them. And you'd just be shocked how many times that comes back to you, hmm. you know, and it's the right way to live. You don't do it. It's the paradox of trying to figure it out and play people, right? That doesn't work. People figure out you're trying to play people. But if you just love people, it always works yeah. out. Mm-hmm. And so... Yeah, that story is encouraging. And what's encouraging about that is that's kind of why I think you and Pam, when you're trying to figure, okay, we're new to Dallas, out of Houston, where are we going to go to church? All right, let's consider this. I remember one breakfast with this guy that went fairly well, and boom, look what that turned into. Yeah, and then I move here, and uh, 2001, very first day in Dallas, I have lunch with this guy, and uh, just the way our interaction went. It was, it was like, that's where I'm going to go. Wherever this guy goes, I'm going to get plugged in there. And so 17 years ago, Mm. so you were hanging out with him, impressed him, Mm. hung out with me and, and here it is. It's all come first. Yeah. So uh, listen, leaders, you want to know how to get Adam Tarnos and John McGee's on your staff? Well, first of all, pray and just, um, but, but I would tell you this, these two guys, uh, are, are, I tell them all the time. I, I mean, this podcast and it's not the podcast, Adam's communication, um, you know, teachings and emails that he sends out. I mean, Adam, just tell him how to get that right here. But to put seriously, how do, how do they get those? So you can, uh, what, I, watermarkresources.org yeah. or .com, excuse me, watermarkresources.com slash seven days. Okay. So you can go and so every seven days, that. you can get a tip on communication from Adam. John does an amazing job with just developing leaders, developing teens, leads re-engage. And so, I mean, I, these guys, I think, are willing prayerfully, I think, maybe to be true. The, the thing that I think I'm most proud of at Watermark is how long... M- well, first of all, men like you are here and how long men like you hang around here. Yeah. And um, I I think part of it is because we're all just, um, I think, trying to serve our king, trying to encourage and serve one another. And we're not trying to build our kingdoms here. Right. And when when I think guys on your team, one of the things I, I wanted to do again is I just, okay, Lord, if I've got to fight my whole life to elevate myself over men, first of all, your scripture says nothing like that will ever work out. But I don't want the fight to come over other men. I want to love men. I want to serve men. I want to do what I can to exalt them. And I I, I don't know, man. I'm, I'm, I'm wandering a little bit here. But I'm just, I think, saying I'm so grateful that these principles that I saw in the life of Jesus – uh, I've tried to adopt a few of those and attach them to me, and man, it sure has worked out well. So hmm. the one who despises the word will be in debt to it, but the one who fears the commandment will be rewarded, it says. Hmm. Right? Hmm. And I just tell you, it's true that good understanding produces favor, but the way of the treacherous is hard. Hard. Believe it. Yes. And run to it and get around guys who spur you on toward it. Hmm. Well, this this has been a great conversation, Todd. So great having you back in the studio. Thank you so much for sharing some of your story and uh, and encouraging us with just how important this decade is or these two decades are in a leader's life, the 20s and 30s. They they matter a ton. Yeah. Yeah. And Todd, I just will close with this. Uh, I was in a meeting. We were talking about some fall sermon prep. And um, and what uh, Caitlin said, she goes, Todd doesn't even need to prepare for that. He doesn't even need to prepare. He prepared in his 20s and 30s. Mm -hmm. He, He can do that right 
now. And so oftentimes we think, you know, uh, when I get there, um, then I'm going to study, then I'll be disciplined, then I will uh, memorize and I'll work it all out. Then I will, you know, uh, work on some of my, my sin patterns and things like that. And at that point, in some respects, it's too late. Yeah. Uh, It's too late. Uh, This is the time and um, to, to work it all out. This is when you're digging the well that you're going to drink from. And and if you're, and if you're young in your twenties and your thirties, you'll never have more free time now than, you know, just like when we, you're in junior high and you thought you were busy and went to high school and you laughed and then you went to college and you laughed at how busy you thought you were in high school. Then you went to college and look, you know, uh, that doesn't stop probably until I'm guessing until you, your empty nest. And, uh, if you've, if you're in your twenties and thirties, you've got a tremendous amount of time, uh, invest it. Don't mm. waste it. You will be glad. Todd's glad. And those under you will be really, really glad and they'll benefit, uh, from your discipline and, um, your diligence. Okay. Last illustration we use, I use this a lot. Like you're right. When your body is young and again, don't, don't give the devil your twenties. You don't want to, um, cripple your body with dishealth and poor living and trying to recover from it in your thirties and your forties. You want to train like a madman in your teens and your twenties, run four minute miles while you can. Because if you try and run a six-minute mile for the first time when you're 36, you're not going to make it. <laughs> but if you gonna... ran four-minute miles when you were in your 20s, then then you can still run an amazing pace when you're in your 30s. But if you're just starting – so, I mean, somebody might be listening to this and go, okay, what do I do? I'm 38. I just trusted yeah. Christ. And I would say confess your sins, right? You know, he's faithful and just. Trust the God that makes beauty from ashes. That's in the scripture. Mm, yeah. Right? He can restore the years the locusts have eaten. So to that guy, it's a whole other podcast. Right. But if this podcast is to the young, I'm just telling you, why would you burden yourself with that? And and when you see other guys who, who seem to be getting away with it, I'm just telling you, they're not. I've watched my friends who have uh, partied their way through several marriages and and partied inside of a marriage and they, they look like they're getting away with it and they don't. Just Psalm 37, man, do not fret because of evildoers. Don't be envious towards wrongdoers for they will fade quickly like the grass mm. and they will fade like the green herb. I, I love what it says. Then trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. I'm begging you. I'm begging you to do it young and to do it often and yield the peaceful fruit of righteousness. All right, John, that was, uh, that was encouraging. So any, any final thoughts on twenties and thirties? Oh man. I I just think that uh, you won't regret, um, discipline. That's right. And, um, and so Todd, you know, if you were here and you were listening to the podcast, you just heard all these verses just flying uh, out of his mouth. Now you might think he had his laptop open and he was just really, he had prepared all those verses. They weren't, they were just they were just coming there. Yeah. And uh, that was because of what he did in his 20s and 30s. Hitting record on a podcast, uh, it's too late at that point to prepare. Yeah. And uh, so he's leveraging what he what he did in his 20s and 30s. Uh, our church is better. His family is better. Our families are better. Amen. And so the stakes are high. And I hope you're encouraged. There you go. Well, if you have any questions or comments on today's episode or topics you would like for us to consider for future episodes, feel free to contact us via email. We can be reached at clp at watermark.org. If you liked what you heard today, please rate and review the show. That helps other people find us. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you again next time.